Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by Tell Me Studios for Aleph Insight. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm Fraser McGrewer and I'm here with Nick Hare and Peter Coghill of Aleph Insights. And this week we're discussing national identity. I'll start off. I just want to talk about um, when I lived in Ireland, uh, which is about uh, 18 years ago now. Um, and I'd lived in a number of number of countries before then, uh, moved to Dublin, and I spent about three months trying to figure out in what sense I was in a different country. Because um, there were so many similarities. First off, um, language. Um, second, um, architecture. Third, sort of institutions around me, sort of... Uh, I know even legal institutions and um, just the way the buses worked and uh, and other things like uh, TV. They all watch in, in Ireland. They've watched pretty much the same TV and have the same TV pro, uh, favorite pre- programs we have in the UK. Um, and you name it, any number of things uh, just seem to be the same. Everyone kind of looks more or less the same. A few more ginger people around, but everyone more or less looks the same. And then if you look at the differences, um, there would be things like accent. Um, well, that could be the same if you're in Cardiff, Cardiff or Edinburgh. If you look at sort of, you know, I don't know, not liking the English. Again, you could be in Wales or Scotland. Um, and um, I think the Welsh and the Scots are much more anti-English than the Irish. Uh, well, could speculate uh, as to why that is. But, yeah. yeah. Um, and so anyway, I just I, I spent a long time. And even if you could say, well, you know, Scotland, England, uh, Scotland and Wales are also different countries to the to to England. Nonetheless, they're still part of the UK, whereas this was a country that was you know, very different as, you know, as different as France would be uh, politically. Um, and it took me a long time to figure it out in what sense was I, was I a different country, but I got there in the end, okay? And what I figured, what I realised was here's the difference, and this is how I managed to settle it in my mind, that everything in England that is red in Ireland is green. Yeah, so and that's the difference. Basically, color color coordination. Yeah, and yeah. by which I'm talking about because countries countries often have a default color they def- mm. they default to, um, and so in England it tends to be red. So think mailboxes, think um, post. I guess it's the same thing, but post offices. But think buses. Um, any number of things it yeah, just pops yeah, up as redness, red. Yeah. Whereas in Ireland the buses are green, post office is green, other stuff is green. Yeah. So that, so there you go. That's the sort of the news is in, folks. Um, that is the difference uh, between Ireland and England. Yeah, is green versus red. Yeah, Scotland is blue, of course. Scotland's blue. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So, so no, I think there's. I think you've nailed it. I, I mean, I, I think it is difficult because I, a friend of mine is Norwegian, and um, Norway had a very long history of uh, you know being being part of either the Danish or the Swedish you know empire. Um, and then uh, I think they got their independence at some point in the 19th century or possibly earlier in the 20th century, I'm afraid. I can't quite remember. Um, and uh, if you try and look into what makes someone Norwegian, it's really hard because they will claim that they have a separate language. Um, but Norwegians can understand Swedes and vice versa. Now, that that I'm sorry... I know what a different language is. And if you can understand what someone's saying, you're speaking the same language. And, uh, you know, it's more akin to a different accent. It's more like talking to a, to a Scottish person. Now, we don't think Scottish people are not British. We think that there is still some something called Britishness, which makes you the same. So, you know, I'm trying to get from, well, what? how do you know you're Norwegian? Like, how do you know that's different from being Swedish? How do you know you're not just part of Sweden? And there really isn't uh, a kind of 
single concrete factor you can point to um, other than they believe themselves not to be. That's it. And I think, you know, what makes Irish people different from different from the English in a way that Liverpudlians aren't, they believe they are. Mm. It's is it now is it as simple as that? I don't know. But um uh I suppose, you know, when we think about the modern era, the modern concept of nationalism, which most people say is a sort of nineteenth century phenomenon, it's really associated with the idea that okay, not only are we different, but that difference is politically meaningful and mm. we and therefore we ought to have a separate government that's that's essentially sort of modern modern nationalism says we need to have a separate government whether it, you know whether it's an entirely separate political state or you know just separate parliament or have some kind of autonomy you know that's that's essentially the defining characteristic of a sort of modern day nationalist movement is we we don't want the same government as these other guys so we're starting to get into the territory of you know uh, the difference between a nation and a state and and, and that side of things and potentially going down i think one of the things we want to talk about is has there been a rise in nationalism but before we come on to that i just want to hear from peter on what we've discussed so far if there's anything you'd like to add to the pot on that yeah well i, I mean i'm digging into the, the detail of um, why you have a, a national is what 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 makes an individual have a national identity i mean i i i um I wonder if 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 it can be if it's the same thing as just familiarity um if if it's just a, a sort of driven by preference so you obviously have a natural preference to those languages that you can speak um and uh, you probably have a you may have a preference towards dialects that you can understand more readily within a language um and uh, but familiarity is what you know what you what you're when you were looking for a postbox, now I would look for a red thing because I know postboxes are red in England. I have struggled in the past to find postboxes in Germany because it took me a little while when yellow. I first went there to work out that they were yellow. So, um, it, it, it and, and that that sort of disquieting. That, Who uh, colours things yellow? It's such a wishy-washy European thing, isn't it? Well, to it is, have they, yellow postboxes. Well, what what kind of colour is yellow? Well, it's gold. It's gold from their from their uh, from their flag. Yeah. Um, so, it, it, so. I think is it the same thing as just being familiar with something, and then uh, the, the, your you, uh, in which case um, you, exposure to other cultures would mean that you would, would begin to dilute your your own national identity. Hmm. I don't know, Fraser. Did you when you when you lived in all all around the world? Uh, did you did you feel your your nationalistic um, British? Diluted in a, in a, in no, a sense. probably the opposite. To be honest, it just it, got, it just got me sort of uh, made you realise how how right we are to have red post boxes and how much <laughs> better the English language is than those other languages. Well, it made me more think. I got sort of quite obsessed about queuing. To be honest, but uh, no, no, no. Did I feel dilute? No, um, I no. So answering seriously, um, yeah, perhaps a diluted a little bit. I sort of, I do feel a bit more of a global citizen. You know, I've seen other cultures and countries, and I've yeah, because I, I mean, places. this is why I don't think familiarity is necessarily. I mean, I, I, the the culture that we are 
obviously most familiar with outside the UK is is the US, right? But I don't think so. We can absolutely totally go to the US and instantly fit in because we've seen it on the telly. And we know, and the US is very like it looks on the telly, right? I mean, yeah. you go to New York, <laughs> it's like a New York themed uh, theme park. It's mm. exactly like the New York on the telly, and you can fit in immediately. And you know how to go and get a coffee, and you know what the food's like, and you know what the people are like. Um, it, it's really very very easy to fit in in the US. Does that mean we, uh, you know, are in danger of thinking that we are in some sense the same? country no i mean there's no you know the familiarity does not cause us to believe that we are uh have the same nationality or maybe maybe in some other sense it does i don't know because you could i mean i think the thing is that if you look at identity there are certain kinds of things like you know being in, interested in board games or music or you know certain kinds of shared activities where you can certainly say that's part of your identity and you can associate with other people who do those things and feel like you are a sort of coherent group in some way but then there are other types of identity which are more like the political types of identity which are de- which have a nested qualities you know so i feel part of north london and i'm and I, then i feel part of london and then i say i'm you know southern definitely southeast uh uk and then sort of english then then british then european and then you know perhaps before even you get to european the sort of northern european you know uh protestant um zone yeah uh, you know the the reformation zone whiskey drinking Europe. rather than um, wine yeah. uh, exactly beer rather yeah beer rather than wine um and and you know and then you zoom out but actually the anglophone world so you know we we certainly feel uh, akin to countries like india and um uh you know sort of uh south africa and the the you know australia and that we've got an affinity to those countries uh before we get to well the world mm. now as it happens i i don't feel now i don't feel particularly more or less any of those things right i'm all of those things but as it happens at some point you get to a sort of political entity so you get to it turns out that it's the uk is where we draw a political boundary we say yeah. we have a government whose whose uh, power extends there geographically um you know we have little things like london assembly and things but we don't really consider that as ultimately it boils down to where can your army go without offending anyone you know it seems to be that's <laughs> yeah. the, that's the defining characteristic of that's a state you know for the last few hundred years that's what a state is and i i, I don't know if that's uh it, maybe that's just a historical or technological accident yeah. you know that that's where we that's where we happen to have drawn a meaningful boundary but is it does it matter you know i mean in a different world could we have london being a separate state you know and england being a separate state well this yeah i mean this goes back to the organizing principle of international relations essentially which is you know how if you're not going to have an anarchic system um you've kind of got to have states um but um yeah, I, but sorry but we do have an anarch- sorry yeah. we do have an anarchic system and so therefore we must have states yeah so this um, is the sort of westphalian system which right. essentially what i'm saying is it's probably a fudge there is nothing yeah. particularly meaningful about that level yeah it just so happens that it works okay yeah you know it's, we've got 200 or 250 or whatever countries in the un not two and a half thousand and not 20 or two We've got it's about right, you know, is kind of what we're saying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it could have, you know, there's no, it doesn't correspond to anything more or less meaningful than the higher or lower levels. I mean, or maybe I'm wrong. That's that's how I feel about it. But. Peter, yeah, picking up, I think the picking up something Nick just said. I think that the the the, the state, the states as we have them, as they are laid out, is obviously a a, a product of history. Um, but I wonder if maybe this concept of the state. Uh, is um, a sort of anomaly 
uh, in the sort of the the human evolution, the human development, the development of the planet. This brought being come about due to a number of constraints, i.e., in terms of cost of communicating and the cost of moving things around in terms of trade, um, but also because of the the rapid uptick in the last 10,000 years or so of interconnectedness between groups of people uh, and the overall density of the population the the need to draw lines and say well you you guys over there you do one thing and we'll do this other thing over here and we'll come to some agreement that means we're not in constant conflict with each other so brought brought about this idea of a state Um, and and where you get the nation state is where the, the the sort of some sort of identity, either language or 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 or, or race or something, maps on very well to that to that na- to that to that state boundary. Mm. I wonder if I wonder if uh, as we develop more interconnectedness uh, and more globalization, maybe this will sort of even out at some point, and we'll, we'll we yeah. evolve so more think, into smaller groups of people again. Yeah, and I think that that's that that does that that can fits quite nicely into the idea that the state is a technological phenomenon about what you can control that you know um 200 years ago you simply the cost of administrating uh a massive empire uh a massive centralized empire was was just sort of you know quite high you had to be very powerful to do that um now those costs are much lower and you could say well it's easy it's just easier to have a bigger state now it's easier to have things like the eu mm. um and perhaps you know in future we all ought to see uh you know gr- grouping together because you know economies of scale are such that it's more economically advantageous now if you take things like language obviously that that ties into that it's much easier to administrate a monoglot a monoglot block than it is to administrate a country with several languages because then you're going to need to have you know your institutions are all going to need to operate in multiple mm. languages it's just more expensive so it's just easy it's cheap you can have a bigger area if everyone speaks the same language so it kind of suggests that actually yes where where we happen to draw our boundaries is a technological thing um and uh, I wonder and, and if, that if, I want... if you know but yeah i mean so the thing is that when you have an increase in communications technology and even you know imagine things like having automated translation which seems like it's a you know it's a bit of a seems like a bit of a trivial thing to raise here but that might make a huge difference you know it makes suddenly makes it much easier to have multiple languages yeah. um but i wonder if uh, if if the sort of the te- the information technologies will allow the 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 those services provided by the uh, traditionally provided by the state to sort of fragment so rather than um you know having getting you, your bins have to be collected by the local council because they're the people who are coordinated geographically you can you can all you can organize things so i i subscribe to a bin service that services me and a few people on my street but loads of people in edinburgh and and, and moscow and new york um and and everything everything that the state provides is provided as a service either as a commercial service or as mm. a sort of cooperative service um uh, and the, so the so the idea of sort of sovereignty and states if everything evaporates apart from the only thing that's left is physical security right so this is i mean i think this is a very plausible outcome and um, people tend to assume states are more fundamental than they are we don't tend to think of them as a technological solution to a certain economic problem which they are right which is this issue of externalities um the problem that you know we have to have collective rules for things from very simple things like which side of the road do we uh, drive on where we all have to pick the same side of the road you know we've got to have a rule for that 
uh, to be, uh, through to things like you know who, who your um, defence. So who pays for uh, defence? Now the problem is, you know, it's no good because of the way that defence works. It has an area of effect. It's no good my next door neighbor um you know deciding they want to have uh you know a high-tech air defense system and me not wanting that right we all have to have the same because it one protects everyone which is why we have to have taxes we have to because you can't have a subscription based um uh you know it's too expensive to you can't i mean you can't for some things like street lighting you can't have subscription based street lighting um uh, you know the, these things are, uh, affect an entire area now technological improvements may gradually remove the space of those things and to the extent that you could imagine actually what if i had a transponder that lit up mm. my bit of the well, street if, well, if everyone, went, wore, if everyone you know, wore night vision goggles right everyone had everyone had like google glass now now if you but if you imagine oh, no, 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 smart no. autonomous weapons yeah no i'm just asking a question okay yeah. if you had smart if weapon because autonomous weapons are more effective it's better to kill one person that you want to yeah, kill so than it could... is to blow up a whole house you know uh actually maybe you can have subscription-based defense yeah. maybe you maybe you you know it can, and, uh, can if, fight if, wars if, as as collective if, private entities yeah as, as sort of cyber warfare becomes more and more of a thing maybe i people you could select exact individuals who you want to make economically unviable by deleting their identities and stealing all their money from the bank accounts while leaving other their, their adjacent but physically adjacent people completely untouched because they are supporting some others but yeah. also i mean one of the sort of some other maybe this is a, a potential conflict or maybe it's the opposite which is um let's say we decide that we don't like the company who does the bin services um in in moscow chad um southern san francisco and london and we we want to attack their headquarters mm. um and how does that work in terms of defense and the organizing of that so is there a potential conflict there or actually does that fit nicely into this more compartmentalized um, i think that it would work really well i can see how i can imagine that happening so let's say we are um <laughs> We think that there's we we really like the recycling company that we are all subscribed to, <clears throat> and we don't like the fact that there there is this cheaper option which is not as environmentally friendly. So we decide to go to war with them. So the company we collectively as a group, the company you know, and the company says right, we're gonna we're gonna get a load of if you sign up to this Kickstarter. Once we've got a hundred million pounds, we're gonna invest that in a load of um of uh you know of mic of drones of yeah. of drones that with. We're armed with, you know, with um, explosives, small, small explosive shaped charges. And um, and we're going to swarm the um, swarm their headquarters and kill everyone in it. It will work quite well. I can see that being a completely viable way of approaching yeah. the issue. And it would, you know, hopefully it, over slightly bigger issues than the, the, what, the, the future of the planet. <laughs> you know, so I, I so I, I I I can see that totally happening. I like know. this. I'm up, I'm up for it. Where, what's the web page? I'll, you know, I'll, I'll go and find yeah. it on Kickstarter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, but but so I mean, you know, that's that sounds extreme, but it's not. It's actually exactly exactly what we have now. I mean, we, but it's more technologically enabled. Yeah. I mean, it, it countries to have mind, gone to war against sillier things than that. It brings to mind a, a, an episode I think from the original Star Trek um, series where there was a there's a a, rate, a, a planet of people, and there are two opposing political ideals or races on this planet and they've been having a they've had been raging a war for thousands of years um and millions and millions of deaths and they've they've sort of they've they've processized the the, the way of the death happens so they they plan but don't execute attacks so they'll say oh, we've bombed this city and 
uh, we estimate that 100,000 people died. And then there's an agreement between the two the two opposing nations that 100,000 100, people are selected by the local government and then are exterminated by the local government. Just cheaper that way. Just cheaper that way. Because then you're not, yeah, t- you're, not, you're not damaging any infrastructure. You're just sort of deleting people yeah the pro- yeah i mean i mean in real life that wouldn't work because people wouldn't have an incentive to carry it out once it occurred but i have heard about i think there are um native american uh nations and things where they used to fight wars like that where they once they'd hit each other with a with the stick they would effectively be out of the fight and uh you know that's that it was a sort of ritualized warfare <laughs> that was just considered to be cheaper than uh real warfare brilliant um i think one of the things Originally, I wanted to discuss was talk about potential rise in nationalism, but yeah, this has really gone in a different direction. Yeah, but I think we've gone in a more fruitful direction. Um, but I'd like to finish off, if I may, with an anecdote, um, and I'd like to bring it back to this question that initially we were talking about national identities at the beginning. Um, and um, I was relating that story I said about you know how did I know I was in Ireland. I was relating that to a friend of mine um, whose name is Andres Taxir. Okay, and um, a friend is, of the podcast, <laughs> a friend of the podcast. Um, and um, a friend of ours, as they might say, in kind of mafia circles. Um, and anyway, um, I was relating this to him. He's Argentinian. Um, and he was going, ah. And he told me a story right back at me, um, which was this. It was an observation. So he was in London. I can't remember if I told you this before, but he was in London during a, a Rugby World Cup. And he happened to be in a pub in, in southwest London. Um, and it was England versus France. Because it's southwest London, quite a posh area. Um, there were loads of French in the pub as well. So you had loads of England supporters, you had loads of French supporters. And what he told me, um, and and so I guess the point here is his observation of English identity and observation of French identity, um, is that at one point during the game, very close game, uh, France went ahead. And suddenly all the all the French uh, started singing the Marseillaise. Okay, beautiful moment. Uh, and the English were more or less silent, looking at them resentful. Um, and then later on in the game, um the english went england went back ahead and indeed went on to win the game um and so but he was saying that when england went ahead all the english suddenly stood up turned around looked at the french and just went fuck off (laughs) (laughs) just screaming and swearing at the french and that was his moment of going ah that's what the english are like that's what the french are like and that's one of the reasons that i've always felt more european than i have english but I feel more London than I than I do European, so I don't have a. So you'd be singing. So you'd be. Oh, you're okay. So, I would right. not be in a pub watching sport in the first place. So, you know. There we go. Um, so we'll finish there. Um, yeah, I found that very interesting. So um, I'm Fraser McGrew. We've been here with Nick Hare and Peter Coghill of Alep Insights, and until next time, goodbye.